Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are on the globe. Welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. My name is Beth, and Sam is on a brief hiatus. She will be back. I know we've been sort of out of the ether and not uh, putting up a lot of episodes lately, but we are back. We will be back together here soon when she gets... uh, some things taken care of. She's a very, very special person, and she's in high demand. Wouldn't you agree, Bill? Very much so. Uh, and, uh, I'm happy for her, actually. Uh, she's, it sounds like she got the, the, a really good gig there. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's a woman of many skills. If you want to get a hold of us, tell us what movies you like, what movies you'd like us to do, or if you'd like to come on and co-host with us, you can contact us at celluloidpudding at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, on PudPod, P-U-D-D-P-O-D, on Instagram. And we have a Twitter handle, celluloidpudding, P-U-D-D-N, on Twitter. So this evening, uh, our pinch hitter, we've had him uh, co-host or heard him co-host with us a few times with Sam and I, films that we love. And he was also on here with uh, the wonderful Rick Tetral. From Starbase 66 podcast. Uh, that was a great fun show. Yes, it was a fun show. We did uh, Run Little Run. We did Jaws with Bill. And we also had a great time doing The Wrath of Khan with Rick Tetral. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, we had started late when we did Wrath of Khan, and there was a couple things that I, I missed getting in that I, I later regretted. But uh, uh, while you're mentioning Rathacon, I, I owe a uh, sincere apology to Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> not Benjamin Cumberbatch. Uh, I, I am very sorry, um, I, but uh, uh, if there was one thing that uh, I never got in on that was Rocket Man. Um, I was going to do uh, my impersonation of Shatner. Back in the uh, 70s, I think it was a Sonny and Cher show or, or it was some variety show where he got on and did the spoken word, Rocket Man. And uh, so uh, <laughs> for all it's worth, I'm, I'm going to complete the last Graphicon uh, podcast with, with this. Mars ain't the <laughs> kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's gold is up and there's no one there to raise them if you did. And all this science, I don't understand. It's just my job, five days a week. All right, enough of that. That was pretty but, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Shatner. You have the um, syntax, you know, the the syncopation, is uh, pa- speech pattern. You have it down really well. Yeah. When I did that uh, episode, I was talking to Carol about before we, uh, we started. I, I said to her, uh, you know, Adrian. Uh, I'm not going to win this one. I just got to go the distance because uh, Rick Tetralt is uh, a walking encyclopedia of Star Trek. Uh, yeah, he, is. he knows. Uh, so he was, he was the Apollo Creed of Star Trek, I guess. Uh, but it was a great time. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy being part of this. Uh, I feel honored. Um, I, I, I feel like uh, every Thursday I just get my fix <laughs> from uh, Celio Pudding, and uh, it's a blast every time. It's it's been fun having different people on this year too. It really has been a good time. Um, the Hardys, 
lovely couple, and it's been good dipping back into films that you know we're kind of running. At, we we have a bunch of movies in our head, right? We everyone has movies that they love and go, oh, I love that movie. But you need people to kind of remind you, like, hey, remember this this one? This was a great film. So I'm glad that mm -hmm. um, Mike Hardy had uh, recommended Crossroads, and I had never seen it, just like I had never seen this film. And oh, and you great. were shocked when I told you that. Oh, it was a great movie. Great movie. I love that movie. And and revisiting it through the podcast was was nice. So we had made it a point to uh, rent it after that. We we've kind of yeah. accidentally fallen into sort of like a musical theme with a lot of episodes this year, and maybe it started with Tar. I don't know, or be, have become very distracted with with what's going on in music right now, whether it's um, oh uh, classical music or uh, just revisiting some old favorites. I feel like when we look at uh, concert films in general, uh, uh, I thought another one that would be kind of fun to do was uh, Stop Making Sense. Yeah. Uh, Talking Heads, uh, that was just a, a, a great watch of, and, and great music and uh, really well filmed. Actually, that was, we were talking about Midnight Movies. That was one that I pretty much went to over and over again just because it was so awesome. I think we saw it, I don't, I don't know if I saw it with you, but I remember Haas was with me, but it was a whole bunch of people. <laughs> we went to go mm -hmm. see Stop Making Sense. And I forget what theater it was in. It was a, one of the larger multiplex theaters. So luckily on a nice size screen, that was a an experience. And one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to do this movie, um, I may uh, – true confession time here, listener. I may or may not have had um, sort of a an experience expanding my consciousness, and it was – Overall, it was a really positive experience. One of the things I used to do, and I don't know if you ever did this uh, when you were listening to, you know, you back when you know we had vinyl and that's what we did all the time was put the album on. Uh, you play one side all the way through, listen to it, flip it over. Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, but you were kind of in this meditative space almost, right? Yeah, I think that was an age, too, where it was all about albums. First Led Zeppelin album, just Led Zeppelin 1, uh, the one with the Hindenburg on it, was, to me, uh, a continuous album experience. One song, there wasn't a break in some of those songs. Uh, they would fade one into the other in some cases, uh, but it was a progression and an experience of the whole it's almost a shame to to isolate one song from Led Zeppelin 1. If, if listeners out there are not familiar with Led Zeppelin or haven't really delved into uh, any of their album rock, listen to Led Zeppelin 1 in its entirety, and you'll understand what I mean. I mean, the same thing with uh, Dark Side of the Moon. or yeah. There's so many albums that were meant to be listened to as an album. And I know, uh, you know the manager of Led Zeppelin, was under so much pressure uh, when the fourth album came out to make uh, Stairway to Heaven a single, and they wanted to make it a, uh, a sh you need to make a shorter version. And he said, fuck singles. If they want to hear this song, they're going to have to buy the album. And and he was, uh, he was a very strong uh, person. A lot of people found him obnoxious, but uh, he, he insisted on presenting things the way that they wanted it presented, not what the, uh, the mass wanted. 
you yeah. know, when you see him in this movie that we're going to discuss, uh, he, you know, he comes across as a jerk. He's like, uh, giving a guy a hard time because he's not getting his cut on the t-shirt sales or the, the, um, poster sales, but, uh, tells this guy, do good to leave you right now. You wouldn't get a start in life. <laughs> just talking about, uh, yeah, the security no. guard one minute, and the next minute you're doing so, so he's selling hot dogs, and the next minute he just <laughs> yeah. He just, but Peter Grant, to a lot of people in the industry, was a hero. I mean, he yeah. he he changed the dynamic of uh, filling concert halls. Uh, at the time, the band would get a forty percent cut of the take, and he's like, "Hell with that! No, you want Led Zeppelin? I'm getting ninety percent. We are getting ninety percent. Take it or leave it." Because I will fill your hall three nights, and I'll leave them hungry for more. Having never seen this film, and we'll talk in a minute, uh, maybe before we get into the film, about the whole midnight movie culture. Because it, it, it went beyond j just concert films, right? But that's that's where you would see – I remember folks that have been listening to this podcast for a while. Bill and I were – Bill was the president of the cast, but Bill and I were in the Rocky Horror Picture Show um, shadow cast. It was fun. Yeah, and, and when – Song Remains the Same came through that rotation, right? That either that two weeks or that month or whatever. It was like, okay, it's swap night or it's a understudy night or um, I'm going to be in this theater. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It was that important to you. And uh, and I, I never saw mm -hmm. it. But Yeah, uh, I remember you told me you never saw it. What a yeah. shame. You missed out. But it's such a great movie. Um, I kind of – I get irritated because – there was a video on YouTube, um, it was sort of like a review, and it just uh, – somebody probably not of our uh, peer group, but maybe a little younger, and just kind of reduced it to weird. And it's like, yeah, but the music, mm -hmm. it's so incredible. It it really – just watching them do what they did and, and filling arenas with tens of thousands of people – like he said and leaving them hungry for more yeah, yeah. they could have filled that uh, madison square garden the, the, this was filmed in 73 they could have uh, filled madison square garden another six nights easy yeah and um, yeah yeah, yeah priest, a priesthood of incredible music visionary music yeah i mean you look at the effects in the movie and the uh, uh some of the editing and uh, there, there were some uh hard transitions despite that the whole focus was on the music and watching and, uh, you know, trying to keep up with watching Jimmy Page's fingers as he's doing a riff, you know, like, yeah. wow. And again, to anybody listening to this that has not listened to Led Zeppelin, the their music is hard to find a bad song in, in all their albums. And, well, towards the end, maybe a few, but uh, the their live music, they they were showmen. They They put on a damn good show and they would take a six minute song like uh, dazed and confused and turn it into a 27 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and did it well uh, amazing um I, when i first watch of uh, song remains the same was i didn't know what to expect i was uh, they announced uh wrno i lived in new orleans at the time where the rock of new orleans uh, radio said uh you gotta make it up for uh song remains the same at uh I can't remember the name of the theater in the New Orleans, but I was—I had no idea what to expect. Uh, it was—it was a concert film, definitely. But every member of the band also, at some point in the movie, uh, introduced their personal, what they called fantasy sequence right. uh, in the movie, 
yeah. the um, beginning with Peter Grant's fantasy sequence, which. Uh, yeah, that's a great that's a great <laughs> place. to Let's just dive right into the fantasies and, and maybe we can talk about some of the order that we can talk about maybe the musical transitions. And it, it's so funny because their their concert plays probably much like their albums. It's just a transition from one song, one song into another to another. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's very um, a lot of their riffing. I think has a lot of, uh, you know, their origins and ties into jazz. And um, but if you want to start at the top of the film, that's great. Or if you want to talk about each of them, you know, sort of individually, you know, their backgrounds. Because I I know you're a huge fan of Zeppelin. Oh yeah, well I was I, my older brother Jim, uh, who's an amazing guitarist. I think. Uh, pretty much idolized Jimmy Page. In fact, I think that when he was growing up, he he wanted to look like Jimmy Page, and he, he pulled it off pretty well. But I, I grew up uh, around my brother Jim, who had Yardbirds albums, and, you know, you look back to the whole movement of the from the early 60s on, really from 62, 63 on, everybody's looking at Elvis going, damn, this guy is taking American blues and turning it into pop. Yeah. Not only is there money to be made, but that's the kind of music I want to play. Yes. You know, the Yardbirds, uh, the, the the precursor to Led Zeppelin was a band called the Yardbirds. Uh, just to, to drop a few names, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page. The the, the core of the Yardbirds uh, was uh, the singer Keith Ralph and uh, oh, I've got the other names written down and I'm sorry for not giving proper credit. When Clapton first started with Yardbirds, his whole goal was, I want to do American blues. We're basically going to re-export American blues to America. And the whole concept was hated by most of the, uh, in Great Britain, uh, but they were sucking it up in, in the United States. Uh, most of the bands that came in the British invasion, at least part of their repertoire was American blues reimagined with a lot more electric guitar involved. And the thing that probably inspired Eric Clapton to to be disillusioned by the Yardbirds was their big first big hit was For Your Love, which had nothing to do with the blues. And yeah. he's like, no, 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 no. I want to be known, you know, as, as, as the, you know, reinterpreting American rhythm and blues. And Jeff Beck coming in next, he ended up working with, um, I, I have like six Yardbirds albums I'm looking at right here, but uh, wow eventually uh, Jimmy Page came in. Jimmy Page had been what would be called a session guitarist. He, he worked with so many people in the industry. It's hard to find one that he didn't same with, work uh, with. But yeah, same with John Paul Jones. They were like two of the best. Yeah. Uh, but at the time when Jimmy Page came in, they didn't even need a lead guitarist. They had Jeff Beck. And he came in as a bass guitar player. And he's like, yeah, all right, I'll play bass. At the, he liked the groove. I mean, the, the big hit that they had where – Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page both played lead off each other was a happenings 10 years time ago. And in a way, uh, I think that sort of inspired Jeff Beck to, to not be all that interested in the Yardbirds anymore. He, he wanted to go off on his own. He wanted, and I've got a, I'm looking at Jeff Beck wired right here too. I've got all my elbows out, I dusted them off. Uh, but ultimately Jimmy Page ended up as the lead guitarist for the Yardbirds. Yardbirds had some real bad things happen. Keith Ralph, uh, uh, I think, had uh, there was a suicide there. Basically disbanded, but they still had tour dates. 
And that's where Jimmy Page is like, well, this is what I want to do. I want, I've all, he's part of that movement. I want to recreate all the old blue stuff, you know, I want yeah. to, um, they were taking stuff from the 1920s, Willie Dixon, Muddy Waters, uh, yeah. Buddy Guy, John Lee Hooker, uh, all, all of the, the, the music that, what if we could take this music and really electrify the heck out of it and, and reinterpret it. And that is when he got together what ultimately is, is a, a perfect storm of talent with uh, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, Robert Plant. And the first song they played was, uh, I think, Train Kept a Rolling, yeah. which yeah, was never recorded. But there were, when they played it together, because everybody knew Train Kept a Rolling, they played it together and had a moment where they all just looked around and like, and, and, and said, wow, that clicked very easily. And there was no rehearsal, no nothing. Like, we got something here. I mean, the big, the big um, song they were playing uh, on the road when they fulfilled those tour dates was Dazed and Confused, which is originally pretty much a Yardbird song. But they fulfilled the tour dates and kept going. Uh, the name was the New Yardbirds. There's a lot of contention about this, but uh, it's, uh, it was originally suggested that Keith Moon or uh, but uh, called it, uh, well, that's going to go down like a Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, that's, but apparently I, it was an ant whistle said, no, I said that. And there were a big fight about who said it first. But uh, ultimately they said, all right, yeah, Led Zeppelin. And they, they took the A out of lead and just made it lead, L-E-D, because they feel like uh, Americans would just mispronounce it, Led Zeppelin. So, um, <laughs> so they went with uh, Led we Zeppelin. We don't know the King's and, English over here. So. <laughs> Yeah. So, but deliberately misspelled. Why not? Uh, uh, it worked. But uh, their uh, first album is a treat. Starts with uh, good times, bad times. That's a great song. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of uh, people out there that'll tell you basically their first album was a ripoff of so many other people. I mean, here and there they would give credit. Uh, if you shook me, they give credit to Willie Dixon. But uh, babe, I'm gonna leave you. That was Joan Baez all over the place. Yeah, um, I you know uh, it's uh. By the way, I have I have a um question for you. You didn't know there was gonna be a test today. Um, other than I'll Peter, take it. Okay, other than Peter Grant, who was responsible for helping Led Zeppelin get signed by Atlantic Records. You know this because I've told you this uh, story a bazillion times. Um, I'm going to say, uh, I'm getting the CRS. Uh, I, I think that, uh, it was the pact that, uh, Paige made with Aleister Crowley. No, I don't know. Uh, uh, help, <laughs> uh fill me in. Fill me in. I, well, okay. Uh, Grant, this is from Wikipedia, but I've, I've read this in other sources too. Uh, Grant secured a $143,000 advance contract, which would have been $1,114,000 today from Atlantic Records in November Mm -hmm. 1968, at the time the biggest deal of its kind for a new band. Atlantic was a label with with a catalog of mainly blues, soul, and jazz artists, but in the late 1960s it began to take an interest in British progressive rock acts. At the recommendation of none other than British singer Dusty Springfield, a friend of Jones, who at the time was completing... Her first Atlantic album, Dusty in Memphis. But I go back to what you were saying, like, because they get accused of appropriation. 
it wasn't just Very much that, so, yeah. but it wasn't the, I think it's really important to remember that they were young artists. They heard this music and they're like, I want to sound like that. I want to play that kind of music. That kind of music is moving me. So it's a little unfair to say the, the appropriation. They're moved and inspired, and they. Um, it's like that line from Crossroads, like, uh, pick you know, pick up the music where we left it, and go do you know, go on and do your own thing. And I, maybe that's something that 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 happened in, with rap in the late '80s and the um you know in the '90s. Like, hey, wait a minute, they're they're taking our song and they're you know they're sampling it for their rap song. And I don't know. I just yeah. feel like that's it's kind of unfair. Is, is is my point. And well, I mean, so many people could argue that the entire first album was basically an interpretation of other people's music. I, right. I think Good Times, Bad Times is definitely an original. But uh, but when you look at it, uh, they retroactively over the years did give writing credit to the people that they attributed it to. And they, they certainly recognized... Uh, uh, Willie Dixon, they, they, yeah. uh, they in, in print on the first album, but uh, they, uh, in some cases with lawsuits, other cases like, no, this was basically our interpretation of John yeah. Baez, or this was our interpretation of, which is why they gave themselves writing credit. It, it's a point of contention, but the, the ultimate result uh, of being Led Zeppelin 1, their first album, was insanely awesome. Yeah. It was such a pleasure to listen to. I, I can't express enough. If, if you haven't had a chance to listen to Led Zeppelin 1 all the way through in the order that it came out, yeah. you, you're missing out. You're, you're just missing it. Absolutely amazing album. And, and I'm it, holding it in my hands now. Huh. You're holding <laughs> your baby. Yeah. The British invasion, um, it was going you know, transatlantic, Bill Haley, and the comets go over there. So you, you do have a little bit of rockabilly, but as far as pop goes, it, it's mostly, you know, song stand, you know, sort of standards, classic singing standard songs, you know, sort of big bandy type uh, songs. And then um, but what happens is <clears throat> you have artists going over like like the Springfields and they're hearing different music and they're like and, and the same thing. It's like, I want to play that. That's what I want to play. I'm in love with that sound. And and you also had a handful of black artists that were going over to the UK and um, that were touring. And and it really had a huge impact. And it, it's kind of cool because I think without artists like the Stones, like the Who, like Led mm -hmm. Zeppelin, we would have lost or there would have been a, a, a lack of connection with um, – the, the blues tradition and blues artists. And I, I think also they have mm -hmm. a, a heavy connection when I saw them performing and, and riffing. I'm like, that is so jazz. That is just so classical, um, interpretive, yeah. um, improvisational jazz. Um, I think the was, overall feeling too was that, that they're like, yay. Uh, yes. they're, they're, we are finally, uh, this is the music that we started and this, it's being taken to another level, certainly, but yay, uh, we're being recognized here. And, and people that do any deep dive on, on so many Zeppelin songs are, are doing a deep dive on going back to the 20s of, of classic blues. Although they took it and I, I was going to ask if it's all right. Um, you can, there's a song that has its root in, in blues, but when I say take it to another level, I've actually got queued up uh, uh, 
a, a, a piece of uh, Dazed and Confused. Yeah. If it's all right to play it, just so people can get a feeling of it's not it's not the blues from the 20s because this is what Led Zeppelin did to it. If, if it's all right. Yeah, go for it. All right, this is called uh, Dazed and Confused. It's it's just a clip. That's awesome. That's that's a classic example of the like the call and response. The uh, but but there was never a blues player in the twenties that played guitar like that. No, no, and or nor did yeah. they have the technology. Uh, but exactly. Uh, but you you can hear the slide. You can hear the. Uh, you you heard the violin bow being yeah. uh, cross <laughs> a guitar like. <laughs> wow, who does who does that? Jimmy Page does that. Jimmy Page that does that. One of his signature. Uh, signature moves there but uh, listen to old blues music and get a big kick out of it but it's it is Led Zeppelin took it and 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 added a bit of cocaine I think or a yeah. bit of uh, a bit <laughs> well, of something there's, well there's a there's a scene and yeah we'll have to talk about the the um the uh, fantasy and psychedelia uh inspired sequences because I I definitely got oh yeah psychedelic yeah. all of a sudden i was like whoa there's six jimmy pages <laughs> and it just oh, kind of ha yeah. happens out of nowhere like what wait a minute <laughs> i'm looking yeah at all of a sudden there are spins with trails and i gotta tell you that what i wrote uh on my notes on each of these things here is i brought the wrong drugs for this <laughs> um, <laughs> Because, uh, I mean, certainly uh, it smelled like skunk a lot when you went into that show. Mm -hmm. uh, back, that's back in the day when people smoked in theaters. But uh smelled rather skunky for some reason. But yeah. uh, in my opinion, that's the wrong drug uh, for what uh, they were going for in this movie. <laughs> Although there is, like, just get into the meat of the movie. And then, um, then I was going right, to ask you. Yeah, let's get in the meat of the movie because it is funny. Let's let's talk about the first fantasy as the, as the film yeah. opens. Peter Grant's uh, the opening of the film has no music in it. Um, uh, it's Peter Grant's fantasy sequence. Uh, Peter Grant is uh, a bit of a maybe megalomaniac in some ways in the industry. He's um, uh, but they did this old gangster thing, and I was going to do Steffer's character from Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah, yeah. This fantasy sequence has everything: uh, antique cars, machine guns. Nazi napkins, a guy with no face, a werewolf in slow motion, and Chucky Gray, whose head bleeds rainbow blood. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, oh, God, it was deliberately weird. It was uh, crazy weird. Uh, so is uh, basically Peter Grant um, and his uh, henchmen going and gunning down people in a room that have no face in one case or... Uh, uh, yeah. They die in slow motion, and uh, apparently a, a, a werewolf. Uh, I only um, think that individual um, has the medical. I forget the hypertrichinosis, um, isn't it? When um, the extra facial hair. I'm not sure of the correct word, but um, yeah, I okay. think that was an actual person that had that condition. Ah, very yeah. hirsute. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that so basically it, uh, it fades after that. Uh, um, basically, the uh, hey, we're going to get the band back together kind of uh, uh, <laughs> sequence of their the band members getting their notifications yeah. uh, that they have tour dates coming up. Um, John Bonham, uh, you know, riding in his hot rod, and we're seeing uh, something that wouldn't really fly today. Robert Plant, uh, daughter naked, and I'm talking full frontal naked. Um, his son, you watch his son take a pee. Yeah. Uh, which uh, was very reminiscent of the Houses of the Holy uh, album cover, uh, or inset, uh, just uh, naked babies, basically, uh, fly today. Uh, but um, they left it in. Uh, yeah, I I think that God, it's so innocent. I mean, really, the opening oh, very. when they're showing all of them at their at their different houses or whatever, um, it is just so innocent and pastoral and yeah. Oh yeah, and they're very much family people. Well, maybe not Jimmy Page, but they're very very family oriented. They got John Paul Jones uh, reading uh, Jack and the Beanstalk to his kids, and uh, fee fi fo fum, and they've got. Uh, uh, a, a farmer basically who's who's into hot rods and 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 playing drums with his son and uh, in one way or another get this notification by telegram I guess uh, that that was still a thing then yeah uh, so they, they show in and out uh, of course with Jimmy Page they show him uh, from from behind as somebody's walking towards him. And of course, as he turns around, his eyes start glowing, and the whole scene turns this reddish purple. Like, all right, I I definitely brought the wrong drugs for this one. Uh, did did they? Um, I have two questions. So, by then, because you're that tour was this was supposed to be the '73 tour. By then, mm-hmm. had it already the, the the whole backward masking? There, they've sold their soul to the 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 mythology behind the band had that already started circulating. No. So they no, you know that came playing later. Playing at that, that actually, Jimmy uh, Page was deliberately trying to make everything as mystique as possible. <laughs> he was he was he, he was the one that suggested everybody get their own symbol. He played up his whole. Uh, Alistair Crowley connection. He bought Alistair Crowley's mansion. Uh, he, but oh, he, he wanted that. that. He, 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 oh, he he wanted there to be this mystique behind Led Zeppelin. And the, the thing is, the the, the backward playing uh, stuff didn't come out really till long after they had stopped making albums. Okay. And I tell you what, if they had made another album, I believe Jimmy Page would have probably called it Del Milipes, and deliberately put backward stuff into it. Just, just, just to, just, to, to nudge them, you know. Yeah. People. Yeah, yeah, but but he he definitely wanted that mystique around the band. He wanted it to be. He wanted it to feel magical. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he sold his soul to the devil. Yeah. Yeah, of course he did. Um, they, apparently everyone knows what, or that every band member has sold, said where they got their symbol from, except for he won't. What is the symbol stands for? I think it is a little cartoony sketch stylized of his cat. I don't know if he ever had a cat, but it looks like a cat to me. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? The Zoso sign. Yeah, the Zoso. It's, um, he said that uh, Robert Plant said, I remember Jimmy once when we were drunk. He actually told me what it was, and I forgot. It was that insignificant. It was, uh, I think it was supposed to be something about 
Mercury rising in Capricorn or something. Oh. Uh, but the, the whole mystique behind it, like, why would you tell anybody what it means when you can create uh, uh, so much uh, fervor over it? So yeah. um, I, I remember getting in a uh, discussion with somebody. No, it's so faux, man. It's so faux. See, see, that's enough. Like, well, all right, whatever. I think it's but, Zoso, uh, and I think that was the name of his cat, and it's a stylized picture of it. It's his cat. <laughs> it's his cat, damn it. So let's settle on that, right? Let's just it's settle on it's his cute little doodle of his kitty cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> right, the, that's the, how I'm going to remember it. The ironic thing, though, is I think the other three symbols, um, plants, plants is very sort of uh, poetic, and uh, you know the feather, and there there is some sort of yeah. Um, oh God. Mm-hmm reference to Egyptian mythology um, or something. Scrub. Yeah, Mu, Mu mythology. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's, uh, that symbol is actually somewhere on Easter Island. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. But the, but the other two. I, I think, Bonham, uh, uh, go ahead. Well, well, yeah, John Bonham's uh, people say, well, it's three circles. It looks like a drum set. And other people say, well, you know, that's the symbol for Ballantine beer. beer. Yeah. He said he just let, he got it out of the same book that um, uh, got his out of. And his is, uh, can be a Celtic symbol, but they're, they're also like could represent the Trinity. There could be Christian meaning. Mm-hmm. It could be Celtic. So, uh, but I love the story about the Ballantine beer. Like they had pointed it out to him, I think, was um, Ballantine is what, Pittsburgh? Or in Pennsylvania? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't, I don't uh, know. But I thought that I was know. clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. John, it's a symbol. It's for beer. <laughs> that was uh, just the, the Jimmy Page actually just told them, this is your assignment. you got to come back with a symbol. We're going to be, uh, in fact, they never even named their fourth album. They never even named it. They never even put their, there's there's no words on the cover. It doesn't even say Led Zeppelin. It's like if you want our album, you're gonna better know what it is. Uh, symbols uh, ended up on their instruments, and and uh, uh, a band that I like to go see. Um, I've taken the call to and uh, called Les Zeppelin, uh, all female version. And their symbol on their drums is uh, three women symbols extended, just like John Bonham symbol, but it's it's got the plus sign on coming out. Uh, the, uh, I thought it was a great take on uh, the whole symbol thing. That's very cool. We get Peter Grant's fantasy, and then the they get the yeah. their notifications. I think it's uh, John Paul Jones says tomorrow, and then this is tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. <laughs> to uh, them coming into New York, uh, um, and and of course they have their own jet. And maybe this is why Peter Grant is so aggressively pursuing uh, all the royalties and such. Because jet fuel ain't cheap. Uh, so they have their own jet, of course. I was going to ask um, you, that was another question. Um, look this up or have you ever researched this? What do you think their worth was, like their net worth was at the peak of their touring fame? Oh, my God. They make gobs of money, but I'm guessing a kajillion. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I have not researched that. I would love uh, to know. But I I feel like if you backdated it, it would be close to a kajillion. Yeah. Well, because um, they never released singles. He was very picky about – they never well, they appeared released on a few TV. singles. Yeah, but they, they never appeared on TV. Singles. Most of their fame and their – you know, was – They appeared and, on TV in Denmark. Yeah. 
So, but just it was limited, though. He's very, very picky. Grant was really, really picky about how they were presented. But he's doing that on purpose. He just yeah. always leaves them hungry for more. Always yeah. leave them wanting more. Yeah. And yeah, there, there was. Uh, and growing up, we kids, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have the internet. Uh, um, a bootleg version of something. It was going to be the quality of somebody basically putting a cassette recorder on a on a on a and and getting the best they could from a show before they were knocked out by a security guard. So yeah, they released your. I remember always wanting more. Yeah. Um, the back to even this movie that we're discussing. Uh, the reason to go back was because you were wanting more. Uh, there was, to my taste, the best song from this movie is called Since I've Been Loving You. Yeah. And they never put it on the album. They never put it on the album. Mm. Uh, they put Celebration Day instead because I guess it fit the time slot for the album, but, uh, I think they did that on purpose. Um, the same with Heartbreaker. They didn't, they, no, there's like, I, I would, there was times where, uh, go back to see Song Remains the Same just because that was the only place in the world you could see or hear uh, the live version of Since I've Been Loving You. Yeah. Some of these songs they never, like the Rain song. I don't ever recall hearing yeah. that song. Um, but, but, it is on the album. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's on the on the on the album, but it, you know, the time when we were roommates, I don't know that you ever played an album where that song came on. Um, like, uh, I think one time I'd ask you about Bron- Brownie uh, Rar. Brownie Rar. Uh, and, and I've heard other people say Brown Rar, uh, but there is a Y in there. It's it's actually on Led Zeppelin albums. There's a song called Brown Rar Brown Rar Stomp, which is spelled differently than the song Brownie Rar. Uh, played um, in the wedding procession at Neil's, our friend Neil's wedding. Uh, oh, it's a beautiful song. And I was like, oh, oh my God, it's beautiful. And and uh, if you tried to, if you played this song for somebody and they would say and their impressions of it, they would never in a million years guess that's Led Zeppelin. I, well, the um, exact same Ron thing. Ron was a retreat that they would go to uh, and they made a song. Um about it uh absolutely beautiful short piece of that that's what they're playing as they're going through the city they're they're doing cityscapes and and as they zoom as they curve into the entrance to madison square garden uh, that song uh fades out as you start hearing the crowd yelling but uh yeah if you if if you want uh somebody tells you oh that led zeppelin it's just noise have them play the song brownie rar Brown uh, hour, and I, we were we were roommates, and I think it was a Sunday morning, and I woke up, and um, you know how we both are when we don't have coffee. <laughs> and I think you, I think you had put put this album on, and and Bronnie R came on, and I went, "Who is this?" Because it was like the, I don't know why I, maybe I thought you had a couple of albums or swat, switched the album, and you were like, "Let's up one," and I felt like a complete mm-hmm. idiot. Like, wow. Um, yeah, that's Led Zeppelin. Originally, that song was going to be put on um, Led Zeppelin 3. made then for Led Zeppelin 3, but it didn't fit. And they stuck it in on uh, uh, their first double album, uh, Physical Graffiti. Yeah. Um, many years later. Right to the start of the concert. They just cut. Yeah. There's not a lot of bell- – here's the other thing, too. Like, after having seen Pink in concert – which is the most outlandish, craziest, uh, full risk to her own body, is rather um, – not, not only is it impressive, it's um, 
scary, actually, to witness. I've, I've seen her on some award shows and like, oh, my God, no. that would scare the hell out of me. Just her entrance alone. Like, um, is that a helicopter she's coming off of? Or? At the BBT, BB&T Arena, which is a beautiful venue. I, I love actually going to a concert there, which is it's down sort of like west west of uh, like very, very south Broward um, out by the Sawgrass. But that that's a pretty big and a very high arena because the you know the the Panthers play there. It's a hockey arena, and um, mm. I've seen a few concerts there. But when it the suspension and you're going, oh my god, if something goes wrong, she's dead. She's absolutely dead. Um, mm. So there's that right. We're living in that age of really high tech. You know, look at this. Look at the Super Bowl halftime shows. Um, all kinds of. Yeah gymnastics right going on technical and physical and otherwise and uh a lot of that i mean there's there's a little bit you know as far as the film goes a couple of uh you know tricks with the camera and special effects mm -hmm. but this whole concert is just really them and their energy and their talent i've heard the one reviewer called it uh that opening scene when they first go into rock and roll mm-hmm like four animals being released from a cage at once. <laughs> I love that. Because because be, while it's still dark, you can hear. I, I think it's Bonham going. All right, here we go. And uh, yeah. and then John Bonham. I I when I think about how he drums, I don't know how he's not breaking through the skin of the drums. It's like boom, 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 like. Just amazing, and you can, uh, if you're in a good theater that's playing the movie, you can feel it thumping in your chest when he does that initial uh, uh, rock and roll. That's a great song, rock and roll. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to. Um, it's it's sort of. Um, I was listening to that interview with Jimmy Page when they asked him. It was a BBC interview, and they were asking him about the how did you know Stairway to Heaven come together, and and. This whole concert film is sort of like seems to be the way it's put together in the beginning or the choice would have appealed to Paige because it's not like – but it is like, whoa, okay, I'm sitting up in my chair now. Um, and, and then the whole experience just kind of builds, and he, he liked that. He had an appreciation for that um, creatively. Mm -hmm. You think about the state of mind I might have been in um... – that's the first song to see, and I, I might have uh, participated in some of that skunky smelling stuff. <laughs> and, um, although I never did a lot because uh, I learned my lesson early. Uh, I got sick, uh, so uh, I, would, I was a lightweight in that respect. So, so to me, that was like that wow moment yeah. uh, when the rock and roll came on. Oh, it's great. Uh, they, uh, they went through that, and uh, they went into uh, Black Dog. After that, um, which, uh, again, not on the album. You, if you want to see Black Dog, you're going to have to come pay to see the movie again. Yeah. Uh, which is brilliant. Springer, uh, Barnier, Rocket, they, they open the concert. The, con the actual concert starts with um, Rock and Roll. Then they transition into Black Dog. But when mm -hmm. when the film went to Since I've Been Loving You, that was a completely – that I think, isn't that the first time where we see, like, oh, we have six Jimmy Pages out there. Um, where the camera does something hinky or weird. Um. They they start yeah, uh, and the lighting. Uh, yes. 
uh, amazing. I, I mean, I don't think there's ever a point where you actually see their actual skin tones in this movie, but uh, or they're made very intense. Uh, Black Dog, they intersperse a lot of the the backstage stuff going on, and they don't really quite complete the song. But the, when they do, since I've been loving you, uh, feel for how they're really affecting their audience. And you, uh, I noticed yeah. in this movie that they they, they focus on. Uh, four or five women. Um, the fourth woman in is is just kind of holding her fingers together and just you, you see this look on her face like I think she went out of this concert pregnant. Uh, uh. She just <laughs> just it, amazing that the women were just uh, uh, there's there's a lot of wailing and there's a lot of this this song is extremely sexy. It's uh, so even though sensual. It's uh, my woman done left me song it's still is very sexy song it is um i i will say like i'm thoroughly enjoying this the the concert experience i'm like okay i'm really kind of getting into this and then the color changes it's a, it's a little maybe um you know violet purple what and six jimmy pages and um mm -hmm. uh, jimmy here jimmy page was not a bad looking guy and neither was robert plant and robert plant certainly had they both actually had amazing charisma um oh very much so. unusual plant had that viking look plant had the viking look but and page was kind of in a way androgynous uh, uh very sexy i remember when i took lori to see uh uh getting uh lori uh went to see song remains the same and she was all about jimmy page not about robert plant uh you can see the appeal to any one of the guys in the group but uh jimmy page had this aura about him it it's really rare when you have a, a band that big where um you know that there's always a mystique about the lead guitarist always some sort of mystique but um Oof, yep. the level of charisma and uh, attraction and energy that they both put off um and off of each other too is like it's really overwhelming and oh god yeah i was really pulled in and maybe like like you said, it's sort of like this appeal that they have, a sexuality to them, um, when this song started. And and he's just love sonnets with this guitar and and, and pay um plant is just amazing too, even though he might be wearing his, his wife's shirt. Uh mm. Oh, he was almost wearing a shirt in this movie, but uh the you know the you know the Beatles song While My Guitar Gently Weeps? Yes. Um, and I, when I was a, a kid, I didn't quite get that until when you see Song Remains the Same and you realize Page is making his guitar weep. Yeah. And between the call and response in Since I've Been Loving You and, and, and in so many of their songs, this call and response between them going back to old blues, they they are like clicking uh, yeah. between each other. They 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 know what they're doing. They they, they got it down. Uh amazing feel to it there's um, all that yeah there's that eruption of energy at the beginning and then when they transition to this you're playing going to california which is my favorite song it's an amazing song then again you tell people this is led zeppelin they're like really uh i um, first time i heard that song just uh stopped at my tracks and uh the first time i heard it was i was a bus girl uh, you remember where I worked. I remember when they updated the Muzak options. Folks, Muzak was um, <laughs> early uh, playlists. <laughs> but 
but usually mm. it was just uh, elevator music. But uh, something happened in the 80s or 90s where you, they could actually license songs. So they were able to upgrade all of the, the music playing in the restaurant to softer rock pieces, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah, and uh-huh. this this was on one of them, some Genesis. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> this song was so sweet. And so this song was actually uh, born out of an obsession with Joni Mitchell. I thought that was uh, – when I read that, I was yeah. like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They they really uh, – Paige and Plant really admired the heck out of her. And uh, I, I think about – why they uh, why they wrote this is for for Joni Mitchell. Uh, they they dreamed about meeting her. She was an idol. The band and a lot of uh, rock stars from that era um, have a history, right? But I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think I had read somewhere that uh, Mick Wall. I guess he was a famous journalist. A rock journalist, and he traveled with a lot of bands. That I think if if you watch the um, documentary Dazed and Confused, it's it's an ex- excerpt that's on um, I don't know if it was BBC or what, but it's actually on YouTube, and maybe I'll put it in the um, episode description to link to it. There were a lot of allegations. I don't know if you have heard of the Mud Shark incident. <laughs> I don't know this. You don't know this. Uh, it's part of uh, part of uh, the Led Zeppelin mythology. Uh, we can maybe talk about it at the end of the episode. Just you can look up Mud Shark incident. But uh, the two mm. people that say the story was true definitely stood to um, gain some money from it. And but this journalist, okay. I don't know if it was Mick Wall or not. I can't remember. But he's in he's in the um, the link, uh, the YouTube link that I'm going to put. On the episode description, he was like, there's this image of the indulgence, right? And and we do know Bonham was, uh, when he drank, he could be a terror. They called him the beast. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, he was two different people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, when he was drinking, he was uh, could be very unpleasant to be around. They had the reputation for, like, excess, womanizing, whatever, on the, you know, externally. And he wrote a lot of pieces that kind of emphasized this, and he's like, what I saw, though, once they walked off stage, were four young men that were exhausted, and they just wanted to oh, get God. back to their hotel room and go to sleep. And you could, yeah. you could see that um, actually at the very beginning because they start with um, rock and roll, and then they do flip to uh, when they're coming off stage, actually, don't they, at one point? And I think Jimmy Page is uh, drinking a, like a quart of – grapefruit juice or something just chugging it yeah it's got to be exhausting i mean they're they're drenched in sweat they're they're that's physically exhausting to do what they did yeah Yeah. uh i mean with folklore of led zeppelin uh uh, uh, i don't know what this story has a title but essentially um they would uh book out a not not a uh, fancy hotel room but uh they would book the entire floor of a hotel room and then basically trash it, throw TVs out the window. And and uh, Peter Grant uh, settling up on a bill with uh, the, the, the hotel. OK, well, you, you trash three TVs and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and well, tell me how much it costs. I'll, I'll pay for it. How much is it? 
grumble, grumble, grumble. It's, it's this, you know, 1700 for this and blah, blah, blah. And, and Peter Grant, oh, here you go. There's the money. And it's like, uh, why are you still being a C word about this? You know? <laughs> and uh, the Brits use that C word a lot. Uh, but anyway, why, why, why are you still grumbling about this? And we paid it. I asked you how much it cost. I gave you all the money. Why are you still grumbling? Because you people, you people can do whatever you want. You can throw a TV out the window. And it's like, hold on, mate. Hold on. I'll tell you what. You want to throw a TV out the window? Go up to our floor, find a TV, throw it out the window, and bill <laughs> me for it. And he did it. Yes. <laughs> did the guy go up to the, the yeah. thing, throw a TV out the window, trash the place? So how much was that then? And he paid him the extra thousand. It's <laughs> like, yeah. Are we okay now? So that's part of the lore too, you know. The the, the uh, but the, the the mud shark, I don't know. Mud shark's pretty bad. And um, I'm I'm not even going to get into it. And I'm also because I've heard both, you know, it showed up in some um, uh, a musician. He was a stand in musician, but he, he toured with a lot of big bands, played with a lot of big bands. He was uh, belonged to the group Vanilla Fudge, but uh, drummer. And mm. I probably should remember his name, but I kind of don't want to because I don't want to get into the Mud Shark story. But it's it's uh, the Led Side Zeppelin. note on Vanilla Fudge. Uh, uh, if I could, uh, Vanilla Fudge, they they played opening to Vanilla Fudge uh, in their very early days. In fact, it might have been the first tour they did where they were the opening band. And Vanilla Fudge says, we're never following them again uh, because they totally, you know, Blew wiped the stage off with them. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, but uh, but I, I'll let you continue. That, but no, but just real, real quick. Uh, yeah, you can Google it. Mud Shark Incident. Led Zeppelin. I. I will. I've tried to uh, – well, the one version I did read that was an excerpt from um, – and it wasn't this, this drummer. Um, didn't – I was trying to follow it, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this makes sense. I don't, I don't know if I can follow it. So I'm not saying it's not true, and, and it is clear if you've ever seen the film, listeners, um, which is a film that I definitely want to do. Uh, if Sam doesn't want to do it with me, I'd love to do it with you. Almost Famous. I absolutely freaking love that movie. Um, there was a culture of groupies, and a lot of them were underage, and they were following these bands or, or would try to you know, get on the tour bus. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of history there, and there have been uh, memoirs written and everything. Mud Shark is pretty bad, but I don't know if it's true. And you know, I'm listening to reputable uh, journalists who are saying – you know what? A lot of those stories, yes, there were some of that. Bonham was a, a – a, they didn't call him the beast for nothing, and um, but a lot of times they just were exhausted and wanted to go back to the room and, and pass out and go to sleep. Mm, I don't blame them, yeah. Yeah. Side note, uh, Cameron Crowe, who did Almost Famous, was actually – he wrote the uh, liner notes for uh, Song Remains the Same. Oh, God. That's incredible. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, that's a, mm -hmm. I love that movie. Uh, favorite movie of mine. We uh, left off. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, we left off going into uh, No Quarter. Yeah, please explain No Quarter and the fantasy to me, Bill. <laughs> oh, boy. It's completely lost. Once again, I brought the wrong drugs for this. <laughs> and really, is there a fog machine that can make that much fog? fog. Uh, no Quarter is uh, really highlight. John Paul Jones, it's a, he's on the organ. His fantasy sequence coincides, I guess, with the theme. Uh, it's, I could say, vigilantes. I, I don't know. Uh, Who are those writers. people? <laughs> Who are these people? I know. 
anyways, people out uh, uh, scaring away the vagabonds and and the and and the riffraff, and uh, they they're wearing freaky jeeky masks. No quarter is is sort of uh, uh, an organ focused song from Led Zeppelin. A, a, I I uh, think Plant sells it though. The lyrics are a little strange. The the uh, the fantasy is really strange. I was I was catching, I was trying to think, what is this reminding me of? What is this reminding me of? The masks and the cloaks, and I'm like, Scarecrows of Romney Marsh, which is which was a series actually, uh, the uh, the BBC I think that had a black and white series that was based on the the books, and then uh, Disney did a movie based on Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. But they were basically um, uh, smugglers, booze smugglers. And I can't I can't remember what the uh, the historical the proper historical context, but it did give me Scarecrows of Romney Marsh vibes. Um, and I okay. can't I can't even get but you guys can Google it. But there's a lot of people wearing cloaks and wearing masks, and they're they're trying to scare people away so that they can get away with um, beating this. Um, they're they're taking booze illegally. And, and bringing it into the country, oh. but there was a reason for it. And then there's that weird scene where all of a sudden you see the nice face of John, John Paul Jones, and he's embracing. Well, no, his he, it's so weird. The, throughout the entire thing, it seems like this 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 uh, woman is being threatened by this guy in this mask, but ultimately it's it's actually his his wife. He takes his mask off, and it's and it's uh, this like family ties episode, pretty much. Uh, well, Victorian. Family ties, but uh, it, so much lace. Oh my God, his costume. Oh, so much lace. And, and I mean, and even when during the the, the concert part of the movie, uh, if you asked for extreme seventies uh, shirt, uh, you would find John Paul Jones. His his shirt had fruit on it. I think. Uh, Ultimately, uh, these these menacing riders uh, weren't threatening the the, 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 the lady. They were, they were protecting the lady, and uh, maybe they were bringing in booze too. Who knows? Um, it, the Scarecrow of Rom- Romney Marsh was the movie or the series, but it was based on a series of books called uh, Doctor Sin. Uh, and I just looked it up. The Reverend Doctor Christopher Sin is the smuggler hero of a series of novels by Russell Thorndike. And. Uh, mm. Something about smuggling in the 18th century and Romney Marsh, uh, where brandy and tobacco were brought in at night by boat from France to avoid the tax. But they're kind ah. of um, heroic figures in this series, when it apparently was very, very popular. So, yeah. But I did get – I did. I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> what is this? No, and, the, and why that. are you not – if that's his wife, like why are they, is the whole family not terrified by him but – they're not. Um, he takes his mask like off, and it's like, oh, it's just me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's have a little family get-together now. Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, but that's John Paul Jones. That's what he wanted to represent, and good for him. And that was his know? fantasy. He wants to be Dr. Yeah. Sin. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I want it. I, He's still around. I want to ask him now. So. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, so if you want to see the – Sort of organy side to Led Zeppelin. That's a good song to to to, to look at. Uh, in fact, that's that's the introduction in the movie of uh, the first use of the theremin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which we see later 
which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Where they do the split screen, but anyway, we're, we'll go into that later. Um, di- didn't Scott like? Because I remember Scott used to go with you and you'd go see. Um, di- didn't he fall? Wasn't that his first like encounter with the theremin, and he just like absolutely was in love with it, in love with the instrument? Fascinating. Uh, I, I know Scott. Uh, if, if it was off kilter, Scott loved it. Fades into uh, more backstage stuff with Peter Grant, and uh, I think that there's some uh, hippie getting thrown out of the. After that, they transition into uh, the next song is actually the the title song of the movie, Song Remains the Same, which introduces the uh, double neck guitar and the split screen where you see the double neck guitar going both directions. uh, (laughs) So you see four. uh, And again, once again, I took the wrong drugs for this, man. Yeah. Is that where the the middle of that song, is that where the uh, Our Wizard makes an appearance? Uh, That's not the wizard. This is actually Robert Plant's. Uh, fantasy sequence. Uh, so um, Wizard comes on Days and Confused, which is a little later. Okay. But this is uh, Robert Plant basically on a boat. Um, he's doing oh, the that's right. uh, uh, Titanic thing, Top of the World. He's <laughs> uh, uh, on the front of the bow of the boat. He's dressed in Viking garb, pretty much, I guess. And he, this is his little Viking fantasy. So Song Remains the Same comes on. This uh, They intersperse with uh, his, his fantasy sequence. Uh, and of course, uh, once he lands the boat, there is a sword wielding tart on Olos, who, who gives him this sacred sword. And um, they go through a hole uh, where he's uh, journeying. Uh, the, he has to stick the sword into the sacred ground, and and uh, then the sword is in a uh, is in a field of fire. And then he's staring at the sword, and the sword is very uh, significant. It uh, moves into the next song, Rain Song, mm. uh, which is a really, it's another mellow song. And I'd say it's a song that uh, highlights John Paul Jones' abilities very much. Um, it's a although, beautiful, I, every, oh, beautiful song. Beautiful Absolutely. song. Really beautiful song. Uh, the, the feeling you get when you listen to it is inspiring. Uh, I, I know uh, somebody I used to work with uh, said that's the best Led Zeppelin song ever. I, I, I would argue that, but yeah, I would um, argue it too. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great song. You're really bowled over by the, the their level of talent and their uh, just like the diverse musical ability, and oh, definitely, the, uh, not just ability, but the way they can express themselves. Um, that that's what really blew me away about um, since I've been loving you. The, the way he's playing that guitar so tenderly. With so much yeah. uh, care, uh, it, it's really moving, and that's just in, within mm. the first thirty minutes of the, <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. Like, Whoa, this is impressive. And and this would be uh, John Paul Jones' answer to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I would agree. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to mention that the whole um, Viking visuals. I like what Jack Black yeah. said when they were being uh, awarded. They they do the honors. Right. Oh, was it the Kennedy, Kennedy Honors? Kennedy Honors. Yeah, Kennedy Honors. Yeah, and they, were they, being honored. they got the Kennedy Honors. Because yeah. uh, they wrote songs about love. They wrote song about, songs about Vikings. They wrote songs about Vikings loving Vikings or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. So, I mean, literally, he he's on his journey. Uh, and and how, do you, how do you know that there's a hot blonde at the end of this journey? But anyway... <laughs> He's on his journey, and he's he's found a horse, and he's got his sacred sword, and uh, 
and he comes across a, a field uh, in the forest, uh, and there's a this bright red mushroom there, and I'm going, oh, now I get what drugs I should have brought today. <laughs> <laughs> and he stares up, and takes bites out of the mushroom, and stares up at the sun, and mm-hmm. goes back on his horse and rides it poorly, very poorly through a salt marsh. The horse is stumbling, ultimately gets to galloping, and he uh, ends up at the castle, and all of a sudden has a falcon. <laughs> that was that was kind of funny. I mean, some elements of yeah. of this fantasy sequence were, uh, yeah, not well. I think he pulled that falcon out of his butt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just be kind. I'm gonna say it didn't didn't age well. Not uh, well executed, and uh, and even the look on his. <laughs> <laughs> when he wa- when he walks in. The, for the same reason. Yeah. Just, anyway, he he pulls a falcon out of his butt, basically, and <laughs> he's released the falcon to, to scare off the peasants, and uh, he does a big fight with the foot soldiers. Of course, he's found the hot blonde finally. <laughs> 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 oh God. Yeah, and he fights off the foot soldiers, and of course, the uh, hot blonde disintegrates. And uh, I, but uh, <laughs> rain song's a great song. <laughs> rain song is a great song, but it's funny because. Um, he he finally makes his appearance. Look, I never thought in, until seeing this movie, I never thought much about their sex appeal, Jimmy Page or um or Robert Plant. And when I watch this movie, I'm like, I see it now, a hundred percent. I see it. And and he comes like cruising in there, and <laughs> her. I don't know <laughs> if it was bad acting on the act. I, I don't want to. I hope that wasn't one of their wives. Um. <laughs> I don't think it was Robert Plant's wife, was it? No, I don't, that was not his wife because you see her wife, his wife at the beginning of the movie. That's they not all, his wife. They all have beautiful wives, <laughs> too, mm-hmm. uh, um, and beautiful children as well. But and also millions and millions and cajillions of dollars. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. They, they, they have the hot wives. Yeah. But it's so funny because the actress who is portraying the the you know hot blonde. Um, I didn't know if the reaction was like he looks at her, and then it's like, is it is it like a oh no I I'm gonna walk away, but she's supposed to sort of return some sort of sense of allure, and she doesn't at all. She doesn't ex- execute that at all. It's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh well, I'm leaving. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. I think this oh, was well, supposed fuck to off be then. Yeah. This was supposed to be sexier in a way. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Plant was—he like, well, was—he was in the moment, you know, the the loving eyes type thing, the sh- chivalric yeah. tail. You could tell he was—he was not an actor, well, not in the classic sense, but you could tell he was in that moment. And she just was like, "You were definitely probably the prettiest woman that that applied for the job, but you didn't certainly didn't have." <laughs> The, the acting chops. It was just funny to me. No, I mean, basically her job was, uh, okay, you stand there and be a hot blonde. Yes, exactly. Uh, but, uh, I mean, this, I wasn't looking for this in the Academy Awards. So. Okay, I know. I know. Or a BAFTA. I just, no is BAFTA. It, is it bad that I want more now? Okay. After this uh, ends, they fade out to uh, dazed and confused. Hmm. And uh, so this is Jimmy Page's uh uh, fantasy sequence, but I will point out that the original version that we heard a piece of earlier of Days and Confused was six minutes twenty-eight. This version is twenty-six minutes fifty-three. Uh, it is the entire side of an album of, of the album release. 
It's the whole side. There was a time when I was young where I put, uh, and, and again, young people will not understand what a record player is, but you put a record player on and if you leave the thing of thingamajig up, the record player will repeat that song. Yes. And I went to sleep one night and I had dazed and confused on, I left the thingy up <laughs> and, um, my mother the next morning was livid. She's like, kill you. you locked your door and you left Led Zeppelin on repeat all night. Same song. Uh, my mother currently has dementia, but my mother still remembers. <laughs> you left that song on all night. I work for a living, you know. I, oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, pissed off Dottie. But that version that they did, absolutely amazing. The guitar work in this, uh, yeah is enviable. Uh, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, when people give their short list of best guitarists, uh, you know, give me your top in, in history, the top five guitarists. And, and I'd be hard pressed to find anybody that wouldn't put Jimmy page in that top five. Uh, page has to be for me. Yeah. Still, Well, I haven't really, have I heard enough of uh, Eddie Van Halen to, to say, yeah, he's top five. Um, he's an amazing guitarist. Amazing really guitarist. But I'd still probably put Paige ahead of him. And I'd have to really... I, I would have to, too. I, I, the guitar work in Days and Confused and in this version is absolutely amazing. And then he yeah. brings in sort of his signature move, uh, which... Uh, to my experience, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody do this. I've since seen uh, Desiree Bassett do this and, and, and a number of people do this, but uh, the first person that I'm aware of that ever applied a violin bow to a guitar. Mm. Absolutely uh, amazing effect. He destroys that bow. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, this thing where he points at the audience and he points, uh, he's relating to people in the audience, but uh, when he's doing this, at some point, he decides, I'm going to start just wailing the shit out yeah. of the guitar yeah. <laughs> with the, the guitar bow. Dun, 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 dun. But if, if you can imagine taking this six-minute song and turning it into something uh, of epic proportion, that's yeah. what, exactly what they did. You yep. know? I mean, they, they were famous for they would interject songs into the middle of songs. Uh, in this one, they did, uh, if you're going to San Francisco. <laughs> I went, um, wait a second. That's not their... Oh shit! <laughs> and yeah. it was just all the different transitions that, that they would make in this, especially in days in confused. My jaw was kind of on the floor. There were a couple of rough tran uh, transitions, mm -hmm. uh, honestly. But uh, uh, I mean, Paige, there are times here and there where he he is the absolutely most amazing guitarist through this riff, but he can't get to the next one without a little bit of a rough transition here and there. So um, I've seen that. Um, here and there. Did, did you know that um, some of the footage was not was not it wasn't all filmed at Madison Square Garden. They actually had to do some filler. So I'm wondering if that was yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. John Paul Jones had to buy a wig for it. Uh, yeah, they did some in the. Uh, they filled in the, uh, recreated the stage, and, and again, John Paul Jones had to wear a wig because uh, his hair had changed. And it was over three nights. I mean, if you look closely, the shirts that uh, John Paul Jones is wearing that is bearing fruit uh, is a different shirt in, in the other song and Jimmy Page's jacket changed because yeah. uh, really uh, after the amount of sweat that they poured into 
that performance. I can't imagine just putting that thing back on. Uh, so yeah, so it was over three nights and, um, it was filmed. It was a 73 tour at Madison Square Garden, but some of this was actually filmed in Maryland, uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, the backstage stuff, uh, uh Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually recreated some of the stage scenes in England on a stage. But Days and Confused was Jimmy Page's fantasy sequence, uh, which is essentially That's... the uh, young lad yeah. uh, seeking out the, the, the great wizard. Uh, now, if anybody ever buys the physical folding album Led Zeppelin IV, you will open it up and see the, the wizard at the top of the mountain, the lantern, and the cane. So this is basically recreating the Led Zeppelin IV uh, inset. Uh, and, and Jimmy Page seeking out the wizard, climbing the, the difficult mountain. And as he reaches the wizard, reaches to the wizard, he realizes the wizard is, is this very, very old man who suddenly starts becoming much younger. And this is before the days of CGI, folks. So it's basically yeah, not, not, uh, not exactly uh, Academy Award effects no. uh, going on here, but uh, becomes much younger, becomes Jimmy Page, and then ages back again, and then... Uh, Turns his uh, walking stick into a lightsaber that goes into multicolors, and, and again, <laughs> I took the wrong drugs for this movie. Yeah, uh, that kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, wait a second, what's what's that? What's going on now? But I mean, hey, I mean, even uh, you know, in if if you went to see Song Remains the Same in a crowded theater, people were like, wow, man, yeah. Zeppelin. Yeah. So I mean, he he was playing it, off that though. I mean, for 10 years, probably when this film was released and then the midnight movie circuit, there were so many stone teenagers that were going <laughs> and were tripping. Oh, God. Tripping and, and enjoying, thoroughly enjoying this film. Oh, God. I, I was one of them. I, I'm in the club. <laughs> yeah. Although, if I could go back in time, I would have given myself something mycelial to, uh, yeah. to experience this. But, uh, yeah. The Days and Confuses was the, sort of their original signature song going into their, their tour dates and the, when they started. But it really, that this song establishes a blues tone. The, the call and response in this between Page and Plant, yeah. it, it's, it, they, they're like in each other's heads. They've done, uh, and I looked this up, the, the longest version they did was 45 minutes. Oh, my God. Into which they uh, inserted two other songs uh, in the middle of it. They figured it out. They figured out the, the vibe. The amazing song. Uh, and and if, if you only want a taste of it, get the album version. It's on the, on the Googles. Dazed and Confused. A lot of these songs that were off the album, still on your classic rock I hate the term classic rock. On uh, you know local classic rock FM stations, still uh, still are are played heavily in the rotation, which is amazing to me too. If you think about it, it's, you're looking at forty years of of dominance in that genre. From there, they transition into a song that was fairly well received. Uh, they do something about, uh, are you worried about violence with the police? And no comment, no comment, no comment. Yeah. The backstage stuff. And, uh, and they, they, they do this song that, that, that had a modicum of success for them. Yeah, a little bit of success. Uh, yeah, called Stairway to Heaven. Or, I'm sorry, Stairway to Heaven. Yes, never, yes. That's never, what it's called. Never heard of that song before. <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> 
When we were uh, kids uh, in high school, uh, uh, this big battle over was it going to be Freebird or Stairway to Heaven? Oh, really? How about neither? Because um, uh, to me, Stairway to Heaven is a great song, but it's not Led Zeppelin's best by far. But it was a ballad. You know, it it, it started out as almost folky. Yes. Uh, and uh, very sweet and, uh, and and very ponderous about a lady who sure all that glitters is gold and it progresses. Uh, I mean, really from the moment John Bonham kicks in, it turns into a more of a rock ballad, even Led Zeppelin, even, even when they, before they put Led Zeppelin four out, they knew this was going to be their hit from the album. Uh, because if you look at the jacket of Led Zeppelin four, uh, they have the lyrics to stairway to heaven in there. In that interview, the BBC interview, which I should probably link that to in the episode description, Page seems to have really distinct memories of how that song came together. And he said, at first, musically, it was just the music. And um, I forget where they were writing. I guess there was one place where they would go and compose. Headley Grange. Headley Grange, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And he said, I remember Robert sitting. He was sitting on the floor back against the wall. And as we're playing... He is writing, and then he, as we're rehearsing the song or working on the song, he just, he just like he just stands up, and he starts. He just joins in, and he said most of the lyrics were written by that time, and I just thought that was extraordinary. They were amazing. They, they, well, the, their whole philosophy when they were putting together an album, they would go to these retreats. Hedley Grange, uh, I think the Stones use this place too. Basically, a drafty old place but it had all the equipment there and and if they wanted to do a jam at 2 a.m who cares let's do it at 2 a.m yeah uh, if, if they, you know if they wanted to do something after breakfast they could do it they, and and they they completely secluded themselves from the rest of the world and said all right we're going to focus on this album and they would kick out albums in like seven days you know you talked about the initial uh, funding for led zeppelin one at 143,000. the actual cost of that was like Less than four thousand because oh they God. kicked it out in, in in like four days. Uh, they they if they figured it out like we need to get away from the world, from all input from everything and let's just sit and jam and talk about and plant plant was an amazing writer and I think that's part of his feather yeah. logo thing there the symbol there uh, is he's a, he's a writer yeah an amazing I, writer I think he 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 sees himself as a uh, a bard a bard. And uh, mm. uh, but also that whole Shelley notion, Shelleyan notion of the warrior poet would appeal to him. That that's the other thing too that's really incredible about this band is they're so um, they're well read, they're educated, diverse interests beyond just their musical talent. Pretty obvious with um, Bonham <laughs> in his fantasy yeah. that's coming up. Oh, definitely. Just really, really interesting individuals and talented and yeah talented. and they know their roots i mean they, they talk about in the, in the liner of uh song makes the same album we know our roots uh little richard is uh one of the things that's quoted there but uh they embrace their roots he's co- sort of doing that joe cocker finger thing where his fingers are sort of spasming a little bit and 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 really uh getting into it and of course they do the the mirror, uh, you know, all of a sudden this double neck guitar comes out and for this song and uh, it, it comes out again, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but the, they're doing the mirror image and now there's four necks of the guitar and just the audience response to this was like everybody's 
on their feet going, Zeppelin, Zeppelin. <laughs> and just, I mean, they're, they're playing to the crowd. I think Stairway to Heaven is a great song, but it, I, I wouldn't even put it in the top 10 of uh, Led Zeppelin songs. Great song, but I, I kind of can see why it became their ballad. Uh, and I, I, I salute Peter Grant for saying, fuck singles. We're not, we're not making a shorter version of this song. You want to hear Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin 4? That song has reached across, uh, well, since it was created, recorded, has reached across now generations, genres. People connect to it in all ages, all ethnicities. Uh, that song is beloved and even just sort of beyond a, a pop song. And uh, I was going to ask you about this. They all have their – the things that fascinated them, that inspired them. And I, uh, there was a certain – was it Celtic mythos? Uh, Plant apparently loved Tolkien. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. Ramble On was basically a, a Tolkien ballad. Uh, Battle of Evermore, same thing. They were on an uh, interview with uh, David Letterman, and Letterman said, so all your songs are basically about sex and Vikings, right? <laughs> and it was John Paul Jones said, no, no, it's also about hobbits. So, I love that, yeah. though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They. Uh, oh, he was big, big time into um, uh, Tolkien. Yeah. You have to think that um, uh, P- Peter Jackson, growing up, there had to be this this connection there, you know, uh, because Tolkien at this time too, Lord of the Rings and uh, The Hobbit were. Um, I was introduced to those books probably seventy nine, eighty, and I know that uh, yeah. it was. My my sister, my half sister, um, those were her paperbacks, probably from when she was, you know, in either in high school or college or whatever. Yeah, I just think that's the inspiration is very traditional, literary, but also uh, cultural in terms of the folk culture, which is I think really cool. Not necessarily classical, mm-hmm. but from the the folk roots. I loved it. Well, I grew up in – I was a teenager in the 70s, and I think I was required by law at that time to read Lord of the Rings and uh, The Hobbit. And Plant definitely had that going on in so much of what he was doing. Uh, Page's, uh, I guess, more esoteric interests, right? I didn't want to get into that because it's just it, – it, it is messy, and it's out there, and you can find it. Um, a lot of weather we're having, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of weather, but I don't want to you know, turn no. a blind eye to it. He definitely openly courted a 14-year-old girl, yeah. basically. Um, she was a teen model. He was 14. Yeah, you don't want to do that with uh, somebody that's a hero to you, but uh, he Lori, openly Lori courted Maddox. a 14-year-old. She, she has a Wikipedia. If you want to go down this rabbit hole as well as the uh, mud shark. Once again, it might rain tomorrow. Okay. It's out there. Um, it's out there. Um, Lori yeah. Maddox wrote a memoir, uh, teen model for several magazines, including star. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, star magazine. Mm. There, there was actually, okay. So back in the seventies, like you, you read Rolling Stone cream was another one that, that's dealing with bands that you're into. Right. Um, yeah, sure. But I didn't know this. I didn't know that Star Magazine, not Star, the tabloid newspaper, but Star Magazine was actually a very short-lived magazine that was devoted to this culture of groupies, and many of them underage. Did not mm. know that. Was completely unaware of that. But apparently she had modeled and been in Star Magazine, and it was short-lived yeah. probably for good reason. 14 years old. She was his – Understood. Yeah, I, yeah. I get it. Okay. 
a lot of weather. She she's glad that the Me Too movement happened because it allowed her to kind of take stock in that period of her life, but allowed her to put things into proper context. It, it was kind of a so she's not. Um, what's the word I want to use? I don't think that she felt victimized in any way. Uh, ultimately, maybe she did. I don't know that. I don't. No, I, I don't. Um, I think that's the point. She did not feel victimized, but she was. It, it, she said because of the Me Too movement, it actually allowed her to um, put kind of put things on into proper context. She's not defending it at all. She's just like now I can look back and go, wow, uh, because I don't. You know, a fourteen year old really doesn't. It, and I somebody made a really good point that. Uh, Let's say even if, if she was of the age of consent, when you're dating somebody that is that rich, that powerful, guess what? You're on uneven territory anyway. Do you From the I mean? get-go. From yeah. the get-go. Yeah. You're always going to feel yeah. intimidated. I thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah, well said. Uh, going back to the movie uh, after Stairway and the 27-minute um, uh, applause. <laughs> oh, well, maybe maybe not that long, uh, but uh, they go into a uh, rendition of a song called Moby Dick, yes. uh, which is – this is John Bonham all over the place. I think this song is the origin of Spinal Tap going, I think we're going to go into a 14-minute drum solo. In other versions of Moby Dick, in other venues, John Bonham actually did a 22-minute drum solo. But so there's an intro that lasts a bit less than a minute, I think, into the song Moby Dick and 12 minutes and 47 seconds of drum solo. And this part of the movie is otherwise referred to as the pee break. And literally, see, seasoned people that have seen this movie for, all right, time to take a pee. John Bonham's uh, fantasy sequence was uh, no sword wielding tarts. It was just him being John Bonham, him, him driving his hot rod, playing drums with his son, uh, him dancing with his wife, uh, ultimately uh, him in a uh, drag race uh, car, enjoying life and being John Bonham. I think this is the most real and fun uh, fantasy sequence there was in the movie. I, I could listen to it. I, I did. I, we uh, we rented uh, Song Remains the Same a couple of days ago, and I sat through it and actually loved it. I mean, just he's that amazing of a drummer. He, he can make a song out of drumming. He lived large. Uh, it's, a, it's a shame. Yeah. Um, but you could tell. Yeah, he um, got very, very belligerent when he was drunk. Yeah. Uh, he was – the reputation was pretty much you don't even want to be around him when he's drunk. Actually, get mean. And mm. uh, uh, but uh, when he wasn't, he was a teddy bear. He looked like a teddy bear. Um, in because yeah. it looks like the the fantasy sequences are either shot earlier or maybe later after the concert in '73. I don't I don't know what the timing was. What was shot when? He looks very sober in his um the the footage where he's at home. With his family, um, mm-hmm. he looks to be in good health. Or Jason Bonham uh, playing drums. I, I didn't realize that footage was in there, and I just I was so moved by that. But also, just thought, man, that's that's a shame. It's really terrible. 
Um, it really is a shame. Yeah. I really think that when, when he passed away, he sort of, uh, aspirated. He, um, yes, he did. So drunk that he, uh, he choked on his own vomit, basically. Yeah. That ultimately was the end of Led Zeppelin as we knew it anyway. I, I remember at the end of, uh, Moby Dick, Robert Plant just goes, John Bonham, John Bonham, I love 130 that. pounds of glory. John Bonham and, and, and the, the crowd going wild. Um, I loved that. And he, he's like sing, you know, you listen to him in interviews and he doesn't have that, that trill like, um, his singing voice basically. And it, by trill, yeah. I don't, it's not unpleasant. It's, you get, your ear gets accustomed to it. But I love the way he's going, John Bonham, John Bonham. <laughs> he's just so hyped. <laughs> People, even with all of his problems, he just seemed like such a uh, guy that had a passion for life, and people seemed to have a passion for him. You know, the, the yeah, very down to earth person. Yeah. Very, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word simple. Uh, I, he just appreciated life. Yeah. Um, and 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 when he was on the road, I, it suggested that he was so miserable because he really just wanted to be home with his wife and and his kid. Which, and, um, yeah, the love is written all over his face when you see him sort of dancing. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem put on. I'm not saying John Paul Jones doesn't look that way. They all seem – they actually all of them seem – you know, Jimmy Page doesn't isn't married. I think he has a girlfriend at the time. But they all seem to genuinely mm -hmm. really love their life at home. Mm -hmm. We left oh. off at John Bonham. <laughs> Moby Dick. Moby Dick. 130 pounds of glory. Yeah, John Bonham. Which uh, John Bonham doesn't. Uh, it amazes me that uh, 130 pounds of glory. He seems like a much more sturdy man. Uh, maybe he wasn't that tall. I don't know. Um, and he seemed per like a pretty, pretty uh, st uh, stocky dude. Yeah. Um, stocky and ripped. Ugh. Ripped and uh, and not short. He didn't seem short to me, but. Yeah. It, it, it's funny that you said that about uh, this was pee break time because uh, the camera pans back in the auditorium and you can see legs milling about at the very top of the auditorium. Like, hey, everybody, it's drum solo time. So <laughs> go yeah. believe yourself. Uh, you can see the like the hallway. Yeah, you can yeah. see the silhouettes of people in the hallway. This is where people go to take their pee break. <laughs> and, and in the movie, too. Yeah, they definitely take their pee break then. Uh, Moby Dick was. Um, and also the last uh, fantasy sequence, uh, which was, to to my taste, uh, the the most genuine yes. fantasy sequence. Definitely. He's just like, this is my life. I love farming. I love uh, uh, pushing cows. Um, I like my hot rod. I like uh, my motorcycle. I thought that was pretty cool. My motorcycle. Yeah, very very cool. Yeah, John Bonham. Uh, he left us too soon. The uh, last transition song before the finale a whole lot of love but uh they do they go into heartbreaker yeah. uh which is not on the album and again leave them hungry for more but uh, uh that was just more or less an introduction into um, the news footage of them getting ripped off for two hundred thousand dollars the newspaper headline literally a newspaper being dropped on the sidewalk uh led zeppelin ripped off for two hundred 203k and um uh they they cut to um in the middle of heartbreaker um the guitar riffs and such they, they cut to uh peter grant uh in an interview and he's literally giving the finger uh to the camera 
as he's resting his finger on his middle finger and and uh, saying, well, I don't know what happened here. And they, they never did find anybody. Uh, apparently, uh, one of the employees of the hotel. It was a Drake hotel, right? You know, I think you may be right. But, uh, but yeah. one of the employees of the hotel mysteriously left and, <laughs> and flew off to Jamaica and was never heard from again. Uh, but uh, they got ripped off for uh, their security um, hotel uh, lockbox uh, for over $200,000, which was all their cash, cashy, foldy money to uh, take care of people. Um, so I'm sure eventually they made good on their all their transactions. They, that was a little commentary in the movie. Like, yeah, we came here and did these three shows for you here at Madison Square Garden. And, and what do we get for it? We got ripped off for 200 grand. Do you think that would um, – okay, I'm curious. Do you think that the three nights at Madison Square Garden, they covered the, that cost? I, From, be, I, I believe they probably did. Okay. Um, what, that's – wow. Man. I don't know. Uh, this you had to go back to 1973 money. So yeah, you would. But, uh, if you filled Madison Square Garden three nights and yeah. clearly, uh, clearly sold it out. I mean, there's people begging for tickets outside and cops letting like three of these kids in. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. That's all fun, right? You know, <laughs> letting people in for free. But um, they were making gobs of money. Yeah, um, that's like uh, I, it's I think so. It is, um, it's so funny right. that they they really made bank and so many other acts did not, you know. Hmm. Peter Grant, uh, I don't think any of them are going to retire poor uh, or have retired poor. Was Swan Song was their own label? They were on Atlantic up until Physical Graffiti, uh, and then they had the Swan Song label. And I mean, if you look at it uh, sequentially, uh, Song Remains the Same was a Swan Song label, but Song Remains the Same actually came out after Physical Graffiti. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, their Swan Song label, a uh, beautiful um, icon of a uh, winged god, basically, yeah. or which I think was Robert Plant. Uh, yeah, a, but, sort of uh, a winged falling god too. It's a yeah yeah. It's a reminiscent of uh, Icarus uh, yeah. flying too close to the sun. But swan song in itself means a last dying, beautiful song, the last thing that they'll um, sing before death, um, which is ironic because um, they did do like four albums on the – or five albums on the swan song label. All right, I don't even know about the stuff that came in the post-Led Zeppelin days. Uh, I think uh, – uh, Mothership was probably on the Swan Song label too. After Heartbreaker, which is they didn't even play the song, uh, kind of transitions into their finale song for the tour, which was uh, "Whole Lot of Love." And uh, if you're listening to "Whole Lot of Love" and you don't have stereo, you're just playing missing it. Yeah. Uh, "Whole Lot of Love" uh, with the theremin riffs, and uh, uh, I think that. Uh, I would describe Whole Lot of Love as a musical interpretation of an orgasmic experience. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of call and response in this. There's a lot of bluesiness. There's a lot of, uh, and again, they, they took a, what, a five-minute song and turned it into a 1437 song. Uh, it's, uh, it's like they took gospel and turned it psychedelic. Uh, 
it's almost you know having heard that song and that song probably got a lot of uh radio play but it's on fm radio um which would probably yeah. stipulate the significance of fm radio in the 70s and the growth of classic rock um but it's it almost felt anti the climax of the film to me is dazed and confused and and a uh, whole lot of love is almost uh, anticlimactic compared to that mm. i think but it's 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 this driving sexy uh push push yeah oh baby babies <laughs> you know woman woman you need you know, um way down inside you, you need it so i mean it's 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 so very much led zeppelin it's not sexist it's sexy what's what's wrong with it being sexy are you doing russell brand right now oh what no no um uh christopher guest nigel oh okay oh okay okay oh yeah of course it's sexist it's what's wrong with it being sexy i have to be chewing gum to any potential Led Zeppelin fan out there, if you have any problem with uh, sexual undertones in music, Led Zeppelin is not for you. Um, this song is all about baby, baby. <laughs> push it, push it. Push it. This is the song that really points out the fact that I don't think that Robert Plant's wearing underwear. Oh, well, he's definitely are, not wearing underwear. Um, and you know, Those he, are his genitals. He's definitely, um, he does have present this sort of, in, he's very androgynous. Very androgynous, mm. I, I think. Oh, it's a page more so, but um, yes. he, he's he's the Viking guy. Yeah, he uh, is. You know, uh, he's he's like a gobs of just sex. Yeah, he is. He's incredibly sexy, but he's not. To me, the androgynous. He's like his his stage movements are very um, sexy, and yeah. Uh, Why? What I mean by androgynous is. He can do the sort of the the rock god power stance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, pelvis thrust forward. But also, he there's this uh, silkiness to the way he moves, which is kind of feminine to me and attractive. But mm. I, I think all of it is attractive. Uh, I think he's pretty he cool. He's as smooth as coronation milk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's really uh, really groovy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so is Paige. I had. Uh, just uh, memories of New Orleans and my friend uh, Charlie. I, I remember insisting that he heard this song, and this was the um, uh, the album version of the song, but you need to listen to this on headphones because it's like swirling and theremin and, 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 and like, what? Huh? 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 It literally sounds like somebody building to an organism. Very much so. The, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> so, why people love this song. Yeah. Yeah, you think? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, it was a, a quintessential Led Zeppelin uh, and a great way to end with a flaming gong. They, they literally uh, lit the, the gong on fire. Bong, 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 bong. John Bonham uh, beating the shit out of the drums. <laughs> uh, the movie ends on uh, on that and them leaving uh, with a very uh, uh, subdued studio version of uh, – Stairway to Heaven playing and uh, getting back on the plane and uh, wiping off the sweat and uh, moving on to the next tour date. And then the credits roll and 
what I found amazing was the credits on this thing. While they're playing Stairway to Heaven, uh, the credits rolled for about 40 seconds. Yeah. The, the beginning smallest end. credits I've ever seen yeah. because, I mean, they, there is no key grip in this. There is no best boy. There is, these are the people. And it took 40 seconds to roll the credits and the rest was exit music, Stairway to Heaven. Um, we should we should mention that the the director well there were two directors uh, yeah um, the the first one kind of got booted out yeah yeah Joe Messo and uh, Peter Clifton finished it uh, was an Australian director and uh, Joe Messo uh, basically was booted out and uh, he actually held the film the literal film in the can hostage and he finally did give it up they had to get a um, an order to to get the film from him but the the, the replacement director ended up with a co-credit a lot of contention in this uh, and I'm, I'm i'm guessing peter grant was behind it but do good to leave you right now i couldn't get a start in life <laughs> it, it's very um oh what is the word i want to use when they're uh the fever dream is over with <laughs> when they're on the tarmac yeah. and just getting ready to go back on on the plane, it, it it does. It feels like it was just all a fever dream, mm-hmm. uh, fueled by um, the purple haze of uh, um, yeah. uh, psilocybin or <laughs> something. You know. Yeah. Um, and I'm I, gonna I guess there was the a of way. many many. <laughs> Many, many drugs, but, uh, yeah, the, but it's, it's the calm moment. It's like, all right, we're done with this gig and, and clearly on to the next one. It was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable experience. And I probably yeah. won't fall asleep to the music again tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't leave it on repeat. You'll piss off somebody. Uh, <laughs> well, we have air, AirPods now. And I think that if you look at how movies are released, uh, this one was almost intended as a midnight showing uh, i know the movie did make money but it made money over a period yes. of a long time and, and and it made money for the midnight movie crowd and uh i remember hearing about it on uh, wrno in uh, new orleans and going oh can i go see that and uh, i was like oh where has this been all my life uh, <laughs> great, great great experience uh and in a, in a way, when I was growing up, uh, my older, cooler uh, god of a brother, uh, Jim, who was a <laughs> guitar player, pretty much uh, say, you're not cool enough to like this m- music. And and he would release little bits and pieces of it. And I go, wow, that's great. And, and uh, But when I, I got to uh, kind of be on my own as a teenager and start exploring myself, like, wow, this is just awesome. I can't yeah. believe you haven't seen it until until just recently. I can't um, believe I haven't seen it either. If you're lucky enough to have an older sibling that can hand down their music. Uh, th- and there's that great scene in Almost Famous where the older sister can't take it with her. She just can't stand her mother anymore. So she takes off, yeah. and the last thing she gifts her younger brother, the Cameron Crowe-based character, is her album collection. Like, you know, basically, this is going to mm. save your life and your sanity. I give this to you. Yeah. Bequeath it to you. <laughs> Telling mom to go <laughs> shove it. Um, but yeah. I had an older brother, too, and he was into Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh, um, uh, he was big into – not as big into Led Zeppelin, but um, all of it. 
really. But I just yeah. remember his, his own transition into rock and roll was Bachman Turner Overdrive. And I've, I've loved Bachman yeah. Turner Overdrive ever since. How could you not? Uh, I think about, in a way, I, I see, I mean, they, they've gone on through the years, but uh, as I was coming into my own as an adult, Led Zeppelin was basically dying or had kind of died. Uh, the Robert Plant had a number of tragedies. Yes, uh, terrible a Very bad car accident. His uh, son died of a very bad infection. Very shortly. Shortly after yeah. this, right? Like a year yeah. or two? Terrible. Uh, that was more in the later 70s, like 77. Yeah. Well, this was released in yeah. 76. So, um, yeah. so, yeah, it would have it been a few. released in 76. Uh, filmed from in 73. Film from the 70, yeah, 73. 73, yeah. But terrible uh, But uh, But then the ultimate tragedy of uh, Bonzo dying. Um, Bonzo, if, if you're not familiar, is what they all refer to John Bonham as. During the time when I was ready, so ready for so much more Zeppelin, they were, they basically kind of had finished. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, in the very late seventies, they did Into the Outdoor, which had some great songs on it. Uh, oh, I love, uh, you know, the one that got a lot of radio play was, and they got so much shit for was, uh, Fool in the Rain. And I, every time I hear that, those first riffs, I just love that song. Fool in the Rain wasn't classic Zeppelin though. No, it, was, it wasn't. Um, it was a fun song. It was a good song. All the Latin, uh, influence at the end of that song the congas and the the drumming i just loved it and and you really it was cool in the fact that you have other artists that are starting to like that next wave um sort of post-punk because punk's going on now uh from like the mid-70s on they're experimenting with world music and then you there's uh there's some reggae influence in blondie there's uh heavy reggae and ska influence in the police so i i look at fool in the rain and go they're touching on that too with yeah. the very heavy latin sound at the very very end of that song there there were good songs i mean the, going back to their roots they had in the evening and i'm gonna crawl which was back to their bluesy influences but they they branched out they did a kind of synthy thing with carousel ombra which didn't really hit with me uh, All My Love was more or less a tribute to Robert Plant's uh, past son. Mm. Um, but, I mean, the, it, it, if uh, if I would encourage anybody out there who's who's not familiar with Led Zeppelin uh, to, to try to get into Led Zeppelin, don't start with In Through the Outdoor. No, go uh, back to certainly one. Certainly not. Absolutely. Yeah, go back to one, yeah. Listen uh, to the whole thing. Definitely worthy songs on the album. I would say I think of In Through the Outdoor as their last album because really Coda was just a release of stuff that they didn't put on other albums. That I'm I'm sorry, but it's not very charitable. But it was a uh, it was not a memorable album. Coda was um, that which wouldn't wasn't worthy of their other albums, and uh, and they they did go on uh, beyond that. And, and you look at. Uh, Barbara planted uh, honey drippers, and uh, I mean he's been active. Uh, Alison Krauss, he's he. I mean he's he's uh, just a musician. He yeah. he's he's always done something. Same with Page. He's played with the Black Crows. Uh, he did the Firm. Uh, I can say actually the only time I've ever seen Jimmy Page on stage was with uh, a band with the called firm. The Firm. Yeah, Radioactive. I don't know. I love that song. Out there, I know that song. Yeah. Cool song. 
Yeah, yeah, great song, great concert. I saw them at Madison Square Garden, oh. um, and he did the uh, violin bow on the, the guitar. I, I think he felt like he was obligated for all the people that missed Zeppelin. But that's incredibly generous of him as an artist to do that. Um, to, yeah. to to kind of because you know when artists leave different bands are like, well, I'm not doing that that old shtick. But to acknowledge that the people that love you want that maybe. And to give that to them is is really, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, and if well, he didn't, it'd be kind of be like uh, if Don McLean said, "Yeah, I'm here, but I'm not going to do American Pie." Because uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, going forward, when you think about how overly protective Peter Grant was of all their intellectual property, they did lighten up over the years. And uh, if if you want to hear some really great tribute. Um, songs. Uh, there's a band of uh, Ann and Nancy Wilson had a band called Heart, mm. um, and they gave them props, uh, the, the, the permission basically. Yeah, have fun with it. If if you want something fun, Google uh, Heart, uh, Ann and Nancy Wilson Heart, and Battle of Evermore. Yeah, I gotta uh, see. And the Mandarin solo. Uh, for, oh God, they were amazing. They did a, their version of rock and roll. Uh, looking at what. Led Zeppelin has done since the Kennedy honors and, and um, uh, all deserved. If you're a younger listener and you're like, what are they talking about? What is this Fred Zeppelin stuff? Uh, yeah. Led Zeppelin. He's talented. He's a good guy. Uh, just, <laughs> just like that Leonard Skinner guy. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, um, my friend, Mike, um, he had a silkscreen thing that he made of the uh, Led Zeppelin one um, uh, album cover that basically the Hindenburg, uh, shot of the Hindenburg going down, but um, he made it a point to, uh, I'll make you a Led Zeppelin shirt, but I can't say Led Zeppelin. So he made shirts that said Ned Zeppelin, Fred Zeppelin, <laughs> Ted Zeppelin, Ed Zeppelin. And I was like, oh, make me an Ed Zeppelin shirt. shirt. And uh, I had an Ed Zeppelin shirt that I wore till it fell off my body. <laughs> uh, but he, he wouldn't make a, a Led Zeppelin shirt, maybe out of respect to Peter Grant, but uh I had a, a an Ed Zeppelin shirt that Mike C uh, made. Led Zeppelin still lives on. There are so many tribute bands to Led Zeppelin, uh, you couldn't hardly count them. But uh, I would like to share my experience. I mean, there's one out there called uh, Dread Zeppelin, uh, which is basically an Elvis impersonator doing, <laughs> doing Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Which is absolutely horrible. Uh, I have Googled it. It's, it's, it's an atrocity. It's a crime against humanity. Uh, but the one that isn't, uh, that I really like, uh, is called Les Zeppelin, which I've seen four times. And it's an all female tribute group. This band, uh, they tour, I mean, they've, they've been to, uh, Germany. They've been all over Europe. Uh, they do a lot of the Northeast. They do um, Australia, and they actually do Connecticut every once in a while. And uh, I'm actually, uh, you will see me there on September 30th. Oh, cool. Uh, Les Zeppelin. I mean, she's the female version of Jimmy Page and <laughs> insanely talented guitarist. And uh, she's clearly, uh, I mean, she's she's gotten the uh, that white uh, uh, outfit with the uh, the, the moons sewed into it and the black outfit from the movie. And at one point I had a wall in my apartment that was all album covers. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, I changed his one Bowie. And uh, I mean, I had 
it's like I look back, I should have taken a damn picture. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, that would have probably been part of it. Uh, I, I, uh, I prayed at the altar of Led Zeppelin and back in my day. Oh, you have um, nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> no, they're, they're fantastic. Wow. What do we want to say in closing? Is there anything Well, you were, you were hoping to talk about midnight movies in general. Oh, just, um, yeah, just in general. Um, you know, I, I kind of wish we still had that. I, I, I w- but I, I know too. everybody can still stream, but it seemed like in our youth that was a rite of passage. Go check out some midnight movies. And I was just trying to do a mental check of what did I see at as a midnight showing, and I definitely saw The Wall, another great yeah, movie. The Wall. The Wall, that Pink Floyd. Uh, Sam and I, we, I have a distinct memory of this. We saw a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Scared the crap out of us. Oh sure, yeah. Um, shock treatment. We we saw, and of course we've both seen Rocky Horror, you know, Rocky Horrors. But other films. Uh, I, I'm familiar with that movie. Yeah. Wizards. I mean, the, the midnight movie is is why we are friends. Yes. Uh, I mean, the the king of all midnight movies, which is still going on now, is Rocky Horror. But uh, you're right. Wizards uh, was uh, Ralph Bakshi. Um, him and Frank Frazetta actually collaborated on another movie, but uh, Wizards was the one that really kind of hit uh, for the midnight movie circuit. And it was overly exaggerated, very muscular men and very overly exaggerated, uh, busty women <laughs> that were barely wearing anything. Overly exaggerated, uh, burnt out wizards. You're like, well, I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, um, but, but that was a, actually a good, a good uh Midnight movie. Uh, Boy and His Dog was one that I was going to mention. Was it Road Warrior or Mad Max that that hit the um, the midnight circuit? Road Warrior was the first uh, one, I'm right? I'm sure. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I didn't go to those, uh, the, the yeah. Mad Max ones. I'm just trying to but, uh, think of titles. I know Conan, the, the first movie with Schwarzenegger. I know that made the midnight movie circuit. Um, yeah. Pink Flamingos. Uh, and then yeah. – a movie that we both love, and if you're a Zeppelin fan, you have to appreciate, which is Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These go to 11. These go to 11. That should be that should be the subtitle of Sound Remains the Same. Uh, this movie goes to 11. Yeah, but I, I um, love that movie. I know that, uh, I mean, Kentucky Fried Movie yeah. uh, was one of those uh, Warriors. Uh, yeah, the Kentucky Warriors. Kentucky Fried Movie was the same people that made uh, Airplane. Uh, but uh, that is a movie, Kentucky Fried movie, could not be made today. No. Oh, my no. God. A Fistful of Yen. A Fistful of Yen was the main <laughs> feature on that. Yeah. And then they had uh, coming attractions for uh, disaster movies. They had coming attractions for a porn movie called um, uh, Catholic High School Girls in Trouble, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bunch. They, they took porn and added puns. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but uh, yeah, Warriors, Warriors uh, come out to play. That was a big popular uh, Tommy with. Uh, yes, another good, great music movie. Yes, it, and uh, mm. it's a shame that I mean a lot of these are on streaming services, but it it sort of lacks something that uh, you've got a car, an extended curfew as a teenager, right? You're still at home. Yeah, it's summer. And uh, you, mom and dad have given you the freedom to uh, go check out the midnight movie, you and some friends. And it, there's just something really yeah. wonderful about it. It just felt like a rite of passage. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who needs to do that anymore. And, yeah. um, uh, that's a shame because, uh, there was a camaraderie. There was a certain, if you went to see Song Remains the Same and even if it was your fourth time seeing it, it was like you looked around and like, yeah, these people are cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you would feel that same camaraderie about Rocky Horror and, and, uh, you would say that camaraderie about so many of the, uh, although I, I would say, uh, uh, on that list of midnight movies, Warriors, uh, not a lot of camaraderie there. Almost a little scary. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Warriors had a whole phenomenon around it. Uh, but I, I, uh, I had some great memories and great experiences going to midnight movies. And you know what? Parents, sometimes the kids aren't up to, you know, uh, doing stuff they shouldn't do. Sometimes after the movie, they just go to the donut store right down the street and have donuts and coffee know, right? at one o'clock or one thirty when the movie lets out, and that's all they're yeah. up to. Or that's just kind of kind of weird, but ironic that uh, what the image the parents must have had, the, yeah. the concerned parents, versus I mean, after we went after we went to country donuts, country yeah. effing donuts, and and hung out and just talked and and had fun. For the most part, though, uh, lots of harmless. I remember many nights just standing there in in the parking lot and talking, and not no drinking, no uh, ingestion of uh, hallucinogenic substances. Um, just talking, you know. That's yeah. crazy to me. It's not crazy, mm-hmm. it, but parents think one thing, and and there's really <laughs> a lot of boredom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather a lot, but um, uh, we we, um, we came of age uh, in the midnight movie era. Yeah, uh, we were in the king of all midnight movies and have had lifetime friendships because of it. I feel like that era could come back, uh, but it would have to be somebody saying we need to make this come back. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, whatever it, the version of that is for the, the youngins these days. Uh, <laughs> Back in the day, we actually went to a goddamn movie. Uh, we had to drive in a car. <laughs> we, we drove to, thing didn't start till goddamn midday. And, you know, maybe, maybe the start of that, in case, uh, people are concerned about safety and who isn't nowadays, but, uh, instead sure. of, you can still call them a midnight movie. Just have them getting out at midnight, and uh, mm. and then that that might make people feel a little bit more comfortable about going. Because th- there's the old saying, like yeah. nothing good ever. Uh, different era, but we were fine because we were looking out after each other, and you know we stuck together too. So there's that. Before we sign off, can I make one more mention of one thing that is for the true Led Zeppelin fan if they haven't seen it is worth seeing? Yes. Uh, there was a documentary film made not too long ago called It Might Get Loud. Oh, yeah. And it featured The Edge from uh, uh, U2 and Jack White, a uh, very famous guitarist, and also a, a fairly well-known guy named Jimmy Page <laughs> from Led Zeppelin. And if you don't want to re- pay the money to rent, Song Remains the Same, um, It Might Get Loud is actually on YouTube worth watching and um they can uh, there is an excerpt of it where they just do a a piece of what in my opinion is one of 
the best, if not the best, Led Zeppelin songs out there, called In My Time of Dying, which is an old spiritual, it's old blues. The guitar work in that, they did an, uh, an in-the-round kind of, all right, your turn to improvise, your turn to improvise, and let's, let's play with this. And if it's all right, can I play just a piece of that? Jack White there. That's the edge there. This is when they go into the round here. Oh, it's scary. I feel like uh, this this whole podcast would be a shame if people couldn't at least get a little taste of, of what they're missing in guitar work in this. Um, amazing, amazing. Uh, there are people that deify uh, Jimmy Page and guitarists in general, but uh, this guy had some and still has uh, absolute amazing talent. And I, I just wanted to slip that in. Because of uh, certain explorations <laughs> um creative mm-hmm. explorations i just know that i have gone back to that uh, well i think it started with crossroads i really got into blues um the old delta blues sound and then recently I've just really gone back to that that era the late 60s early 70s and listening to um to this kind of music and it it's just a complete rediscovery you need you need to switch things up. My ears get tired of listening to the same thing. Nothing wrong with Katy Perry, but uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, if you haven't heard "In My Time of Dying" by Led Zeppelin, you've missed something in your life. Yeah, and um, or, or uh, when the levee breaks, or uh, when the levee Bron- breaks, Bronnie Mar or <clears throat> not Bronnie Mar, yeah, Bronnie Mar, Bronnie Mar, or um, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. How many more times? Oh my God! How many more times? Jeez, I'm looking through my. I, I physically brought out my. I have every Led Zeppelin album when they were doing their contract. Like we want the highest budget possible for our album covers. They had a spinny thing on their Led Zeppelin three. They had their their. They had an album where uh, it was in a paper bag, and if you open it up and in the insert, uh, you could actually lick your finger, and the colors would come off the, the black and white on the thing. Uh, they had. I mean. These these things, and, and I remember my brother, like, hey, you know what this can do? I know what I can do. Don't do it. Don't do it. I want to keep it pristine. Don't do it. And he did it. He licked it and you know, made the colors come out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the actual physical albums from Led Zeppelin are a treasure. I can't believe I almost sold these things. Oh, no. Um, I'm not. The, my vinyl from back in the day I'm never getting rid of. Yeah. I think I divested a vinyl once, but it was all stuff that I was never going to hang on to anyway. You know, but yeah. all all the stuff that I really love, or that were hand me downs from, whether it was my brother or even my my from my father's collection, I'm, I'm yeah not letting go yeah. of it. Oh, it, this was a chocolate episode. I'm, I I had such a, a a great time talking with you, Beth. I love talking with you. I miss you. And uh, we got October coming up, so um, it'll be fun. Uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drag you in again. here for uh, maybe when we do stop making sense. 
doing this episode has made me want to kind of uh, do a deep dive in some of those old cult favorites. So, so it'll be it should be a fun summer, and um, I'm glad to be back. And to our listeners, we are back. We uh, we got a little uh, overwhelmed with uh, some professional responsibilities, but we're good. And uh, and sometimes you come back and you feel refreshed and renewed. And I feel that way right now. And Sam will be back soon enough. So, Bill, thank you so much again for standing in. It has been my pleasure. And I tell people that I know, if nothing else, you don't even have to listen to the podcast, but just search on Google, Celluloid Pudding Movie Podcast. Just search it. You don't even have to follow the link, but just search it. because we're, we're working on getting you recognized on Google here. All right, good, good. Uh, six six computers at work have searched for you. Uh, I have searched on three computers at home, <laughs> searched on my phone. So we are searching for you. And Beth, it's it's an absolute pleasure to, to talk with you and, and to be a part of this, and I am completely honored. Uh, I really, really I, I love this. I uh, really appreciate it. I have fun every time I come on and record with people. I just do. I really do, and I, yeah. I love hearing um, – Especially when people love a movie and it's just so com- connected to them and it's really personal to them. So, folks, if mm-hmm. you want to share your film or you would you have a film you'd like us to cover, again, that's celluloid pudding at Gmail or pudpod p u d d p o d on Instagram, or you can reach out on Twitter, um, the mosh pit hell spawn that Twitter is at celluloid pudding p u d d n on Twitter. Bill, thanks again. Love you, man. You're the best. My absolute pleasure. 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 <laughs> All right. Thank you, Beth. My love to Carol. Same back. Okay. Good night.